Here's a question. How does an ordinary person land their dream job in the sports industry immediately after graduating? Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I'm Ruben Williams. And I'm Ryan Walker. In 2017, we said goodbye to exams and hello to full-time work. This is a behind-the-scenes reveal of exactly how the best sports industry professionals in the world created careers that most only dream of. We believe every dream job in sport is worth chasing, and that's why we want to give you the tools to make it a reality. For a proven process to getting jobs in sport, download our free ebook. How to Get Jobs in Sport, The Sports Grad Method. You can get this for free at www.sportsgrad.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ruben Williams and with me, as always, is the worldy Ryan Walker. How are you, mate? I'm fantastic, Rubes. Worldy. Please explain. Worldie is something that is incredible, all-time, 10 out of 10. You are a worldie. Worldie. Uh, as is our guest today, who's been working with the world record-breaking women's cricket team, the Australian women's cricket team. So I thought worldie was an appropriate word to use for yourself. I see what you did there. It's uh, very smart. A lot of pre-planning's obviously gone into this episode. Um, hours. Hours and hours of your time. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I'm flying. Um, and yeah, as he said today, massive guest um, in Mills from from CA who has just been involved in one of the great records in cricket, um, and you know, world sport really. And that's our our record breaking women's team, um, which has been the talk of the town um, as of late. So, yeah. how yeah. was it uh, internally between the the four walls of? Cricket Australia, how was that record received? Oh, massive, massive. It's um, it's you know, it's a it's a massive record, and like, you know, uh, the the record before that was obviously the men's team, and that was you know a few years ago now. And you know, any time that you break a record such as this is, is a massive deal. So, um, yeah, absolutely, a lot of celebrations internally, which has been awesome. Um, but I think. As the women's team does, they're so focused on the next game, which is awesome. So they obviously celebrate and they, they move on. So, um, no, it's awesome and excited to chat to Mills today, who's in the inner sanctum. Yeah, well, one of the things I loved about our chat with Mills was that we got a, a very detailed breakdown from the, the T20 World Cup final, which you might remember, Ryan, on mm. International Women's Day 2020. Uh, historic day for not only women's cricket, but women's sport. Uh, and Mills was a person on the ground managing the team. So to hear her, you know, we ask about a lot of people's day-to-day, but to ask about her day-to-day on this particular day was fascinating. Yeah, I loved how she mentioned uh, she gave us three essential characteristics for any successful team manager. So I think there'd, there'd be a lot of people out there who wanted to tune in and, and, you know, how does a team manager operate and how do they do their thing? Well, she sums it up pretty well. She gives us three characteristics, so look forward to that. Um, she's a superstar. And, of course, you know, when you work with a team such as the Australian women's cricket team, they're filled with elite individuals, and that is going to have an impact on you given the the close quarters. So to hear how this group of people have impacted her as a, as a person and an individual was, uh, yeah, fascinating to, to find out too. So... For those listening, grab a pen, 
This is in uh, one of our favourite chats to date, I might say, Ryan, with uh, with mm. the world-breaking Australian women's cricket team manager, Ermila Rosario. Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the world record-holding team manager of the Australian women's cricket team, Ermila Rosario. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's awesome to be here. I don't think we've ever uh, started an episode with some with a round of applause. I think that's a that's a new one, um, and especially <laughs> welcoming, very... yeah, a, a world record holding team manager. I think it's also a first. Uh, well, we've never had a long. world record holder on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's a first. But uh, welcome, Mills. Um, fresh off the plane back from New Zealand. Uh, how good's that? I think you're one of only a few people to uh, actually leave the country in the last twelve months. So congrats on that. But um, how, how are you? What's the hours difference from New Zealand? It's nothing really, is it? Two two hours. Yeah, right. so you're feeling fresh. Uh, yeah, until about eight o'clock. <laughs> it's better than <laughs> WA. Pass out on the sofa. Yeah, no, it's better. It's better than WA. Yeah, but no, it was absolutely a privilege to be able to leave Australia um, to obviously play cricket and, and continue um, with the awesome series um, wins we had back in September against New Zealand. So just to continue that that win um, and keep that record going was pretty cool. But um, as I mentioned, we, we took a bit of time off afterwards to just have a bit of a break and, and you really think how privileged we are done this, this way of the world with New Zealand and Australia to be able to have the bubble and go away. So it was pretty cool. Mills, your your story to get where you are today, uh, and obviously we've done a lot of research LinkedIn wise. Um, obviously, know you a little bit from from CA, but your story is very diverse with with a few different roles in Qatar, which is amazing. Take us through sort of how you've made it to now, and you know your current role as women's team and operations manager at Cricket Australia. Yeah, so. Um, I was born and raised in Qatar. Um, my parents moved there back in the 70s um, and we were originally from India. So um, we'd go back to India every year for school holidays. So kind of grew up in two boats in essence in terms of, you know, country. So very much an Indian family. We loved cricket and that's where my love from cricket comes from. So dad and my uncles would get around every um, Friday, which was our, our kind of Sunday in, in the Middle East. So Friday, watch cricket. Everyone um, chills out for the whole day. TV's just running with cricket. So um, that was very strong in my household, but um, also just played every kind of sport. So my parents were really encouraging of us getting out and, and playing a bit of sports. That's where that my love of, of sport came from. So, yeah, we grew up there, which was um, really nice. It's like a small little town like Adelaide, um, you know, about a million people. You can run outside, outside your back door and, you know, it's nice and safe and secure. So it was a really cool environment to grow up in where we were pretty much just left free. Um, and most of my time was after school was spent in the backyard. Um, and we were just given access to a lot of sporting um, opportunities, uh, playing tennis. I played a lot of tennis growing up and that's that's the sport I love um, um, and cricket now. But um, that's, that's what I grew up absolutely loving. I was a mad fanatic for tennis. Um, and then we played soccer, football, a lot of athletics. Um, so you just had a lot of um, opportunities in sport. Um, I did plenty of athletics at school. Um, and as I continued through, um, you know, primary school and later high school, sport just followed me. I figured that 
um, if I could not be a professional athlete, I'd probably have to go around working in the sporting environment. Um, so when I was about 13, 14, I started to just keep an eye out for, for opportunities in, in the sporting world. And the, a really good thing was we had a, a local tennis um, a local international tennis tournament um, that was played in, in Doha every year, so a men's event and a ladies' event. Um, and my brothers initially um, used to be ball kids for it, so that, that was my first job in, in tennis as a ball kid at the age of 11, um, just running around. Um, and I did that pr- pretty much throughout my, my teens um, and, and then just continued to, to look for opportunities so that, that, that I literally would live at the Tennis Federation. Um, you know, or everyone who worked there just knew this kid running around would do odd, odd jobs and, you know, ended up picking up volunteer positions for about seven or eight years from being a ball kid to working with, you know, it was like an um, event steward, you know, that helped people access their seats and um, worked in accreditation. I worked in ticketing. Um, I worked in anti-doping. Um, so just whatever roles that I could find, I put my hand up for it. Um, and I think that's what really gave me that, um, I'll, I'll call it diversity, but that, that diversity of experience, um, just being able to try different things um, and, you know, actually giving it a fair go, but then figuring out that either I liked it or I didn't like it. And then if I didn't like it, moving on and trying something else. So I think those late, like early to late teenagers were probably where I really developed my, my interest in sports management. And then once I was bitten by that bug, it was not going back. So I think my parents were a bit worried. They were like, oh, boy, this is <laughs> this could be potentially dangerous. <laughs> um, but, um, at, you know, it, it just that that's where it all kicked off. So um, at the Tennis Federation and after I so I ended up doing my uni um, in Qatar as well. Um, and while I was at uni, that's probably where I got my first professional experience back at the Tennis Federation. So. Um, got to do a bit more work around operations, um, around event management, uh, marketing. Um, and that's when I got my first opportunities to really work with athletes um, and maybe get into that high performance mindset, which I very much see in my role and, and work around um, in my current role at Cricket Australia. So that's that's where it started in, in Qatar. Um, after working, so after graduating from uni in, in 2010, I um, managed to get a, a full-time role at the Tennis Federation. So my 11 years of running around paid off. <laughs> um, and um, that's when I was, you know, given much more responsibility. So I was able to use um, all the skills and, and tools that I learned at uni, um, as well as, you know, those years of experience, me and knowing everyone in the Tennis Federation. So all of that really helped to uh, to give me confidence in, in the job and then apply the, the, the tools that I learned from my university degree into into my job. So, that was five years working across a variety of different roles. And and I think what really stuck with me during that time is, is just the same approach. It's it's um, whatever opportunities I got, I just took. Um, you know, I would give it my all. And if I didn't like it, I knew I wouldn't do it again. But um, I would never say no to anything. And I think that's um, that's something that stuck with me. And even when I talk to, to people now or, you know, uni students or anyone looking for a job, uh, that's that's my best piece of advice for them that you, opportunities come around I think it's just being able to say yes and take them on um, a lot of us sit and stew about a lot of things um, you know whether it'll be convenient or not do I really like it do I see a future in it but you never know until you try um, and once you try then you know so I think that's something that's really helped me through that process so once once I finished um, at the Tennis Federation in 2015 I got this really cool opportunity to 
apply for permanent residency in Australia. So I was thinking of, of coming to Australia to do my master's. Um, but um, while I was just getting some research on sports um, management, like education programs and visas and things like that, I ran into someone who said, oh, you should just apply for a permanent residency and move there. And I thought, geez, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, Australia is obviously, in terms of sport, it's one of the best places in the world to work in. Um, so I thought, here, you know, this is a really cool opportunity. Let's see where it takes me. So I applied for that um, and uh, managed to get sponsored by the South Australian government and moved moved to Australia in 2015. So it was, yeah, hard. It was hard, um, obviously, being pulled away from family to move to the other side of the world. Um, I had one friend in Adelaide who's, um, who pretty much supported me through, through that entire um, process. Um, but... Um, once I was there again, you know, um, lots of learning experiences, um, having to move to a different country and not knowing anyone, get used to the cultural environment, um, understand the, you know, how society works, um, and also apply for jobs. So it was a, it was a tough few months once I arrived. Um, but again, to this day, I'm so lucky. I managed to get a job at, at the South Australian Cricket Association and then just kicked off from there. So. That's kind of in a gist, <laughs> uh, my, my progression from, from growing up in Qatar and, and being a mad tennis fanatic to now working in cricket. Fantastic. That is quite the journey. Um, Irma, from, from all of that and all the different experiences you had through Qatar and then coming through uh, the Saka as well, when you got to the interview with Cricket Australia, what was one question you believe uh, had the biggest impact on your selection and how did you answer that given everything you've done before and all the examples you had behind you? What do you think was most impactful during that interview? I actually had two interviews um, for this role. So the first was actually was three. Uh, one was a very um, informal chat with with um, HR at Cricket Australia um, who then, you know, took me to that next process of a, of a phone interview with, with a panel of um, for staff members. So um, I tend to, I, I like to be prepared and, I, and you know, you can kind of um, see it in my job. I like to be prepared and like to know of every different scenario and plan ahead for everything. Um, so, so I'm not caught off guard. So interviews really throw me off um, because you just never know what the qu next question is going to be like. So it's definitely very stressed out. And also given the opportunity and the kind of job I was applying for, I was absolutely freaking out. Um, when I, when I took that phone interview, but um, I think one of the questions that I really, I would say resonated, um, or my answer would have resonated with with the panel would have would have been um, a question that Matthew Mott, who's the head coach, uh, that Motti asked me about um, the values of the women's team. Um, so the, the, the team values um, are to be infor informed and accountable, um, to be fearless and to, you know, have keep the team first. Um, so the question he asked me was, how would I relate to those values? Um, and I think my responses to that, I hope my responses to that is what got me through to that next next interview. So um, again, I think it was a combination of, of all the different, the diversity of the experiences that I've had leading up to that moment. Um, you know, obviously being informed and accountable um, is really important, um, even in, in for my role now, but also in, in, in your career, isn't it? You, you got to have the information at hand and then make a decision based on what you have um, and be accountable for it and take responsibility for, for your career pathway. So, um, 
again, connecting that back um, and always being prepared, never being um, left or caught off guard, uh, which is one of the most important things in my role, just having different scenarios and, and knowing that if, you know, if we win a match, this is what we're going to do. If we lose a match, this is what we're going to do, but having all these solid plans in place um, and then being, um, you know, fearless. So um, even though I was new in the job and working with this awesome World Cup winning team, uh, being able to have the ability and the freedom to, to speak my mind, uh, as well as be respectful of everyone else's values and opinions in the team. So I think that's really important to us all. Um, and the last one was just the team first. So that's pretty straightforward, putting us all uh, putting the team ahead of, of individuals. So I, th I think that's probably what um, that answer probably got me through to the next round. I blank out when I think about it now because I want to pack it away and, and <laughs> put it behind me because it was super stressful. But um, it was, um, yeah, it was, a, uh, it was a phone interview for that for that first round. And then um, a couple of days later, I got a call um, to and uh, got a call and got invited to the second interview, which is a face to face one. And, and it was really interesting, actually. I'd never been in a like a call it two and a half, but two and a half. Um, interview process before for a job. I think all the jobs I've have, I've had before would would be you know catch up with HR and maybe a manager, um, and you, you have you have a chat for about an hour or so, and it's you know questions on your strengths and weaknesses and uh, what would you do in this scenario. So it's quite, quite I was expecting a quite standardized interview, um, if if you can you know call it standardized. But um, the second interview was really interesting. Um, it was a, a panel of five, um, and pretty much they just through these different case scenarios that me. So it was quite relevant to, to my job when I think about it now. Um, and I think that was just the best interview I could have asked for because, you know, you put me in a pressure situation or give me a scenario and I'll throw an, uh, you know, an answer at you. So I think that really helped, um, just the kind of interview really helped me get through that, that second interview. But it was really, really cool and something I'd never seen before. What was one of the interesting scenarios I asked you? Oh. I mean, is it pretty much anything related to what I do in my job nowadays. So, you know, you take an internet, a domestic flight from Sydney to Brisbane, oh, a team's yeah. flying out from Brisbane, somebody's left their passport at home, what are you going to do? Um, you know, or you arrive at a ground and you realize that, you know, the facilities are not set up the way they are, or you arrive at a ground, somebody's left their kit and it's a two-hour drive back to the hotel, um, or, you know, just scenarios like that where they, you just need to think on your feet um, and things that I see in my day-to-day jobs. I was very happy um, with having that option of having to answer scenarios as opposed to, you know, responding about my strengths and weaknesses, and, and which is important. It's definitely important, don't get me wrong, but I feel like um, having the opportunity to probably talk about the role itself um, and, you know, to, to – deal or provide answers to what I'd have to do in different scenarios is very relevant to what I have to do in my actual job. So I thought that was really cool to have that interview experience um, as opposed to, you know, getting the standard interview questions thrown at me. Some of those scenarios were giving me flashbacks to the uh, the World Cup and uh, the type of things that do really happen. Um, but I wanted to ask about the other part of the interview. Uh, you talk about been in a pressure situation. I imagine there's not too many uh, larger pressure situations than being in, in an interview with with a head coach, and they're asking you about how do you exemplify the values of the team. Um, just to pick on one of those values, uh, how did you uh, exemplify to the coach and those on the interview panel 
that you know you were were fearless for example like how how do you show them that you live up to the value of fearless i think what what i how i approached the response to that question was um understanding who the different panel members were on the interview and how their approach to to fearless would be so you know with with modi for example it would probably be um you know, having a chat with him about plans, for example, um, for the day. And he has certain ideas in mind that are very performance-driven. I have certain ideas in mind that are very operational-driven. And at times, maybe they don't work together. Um, so actually having an honest conversation about, you know, where we are and where the middle ground is. Um, whereas for, for somebody like, um, you know, maybe a, a physiotherapist, it would it would be a different conversation about what is what fearless is. So, um I kind of targeted my response to the question based on the members of the panel and how their approach to fearless would be. So that's that's kind of my yeah take on it. Seems like a lot of the interviews, again, going back to like cultural fit, like that's not your sort of standard interview. Like, you know, not everyone's going to be asked, oh, how do you live up to the values of an organisation? Like a lot of it will be sort of practical you know, when have you done this? When have you done that? Or how would you respond to this? So um, it's quite a good question to get if you feel that you, you know, you match up to the role, I think. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was It was a very, very different interviewing experience in comparison to what I'd done before. Even some, yeah, it's, um, I'm glad I asked the question or, you know, reached out to a couple of people that were, that knew the women's team about the values and kind of, you know, got prepared. So there was obviously research to be done in that area, which you do as part of standard prep for an interview. But um, understanding how I'd fit into that is, I mean, you know it and you think, okay, I match up to it, but you never think it would be an interview question. Um, and you'd never be, t- you know, told to see how you actually fit or describe how you fit um, into the values. So I thought that was a really cool take on an interview question. So with your role now, um for those out there who who don't um, who, who won't really know the ins and outs of being a team manager, what are the the three key aspects of, of being a really good team manager, which you are? Thank you for that compliment, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not so sure uh, if I'm that good, but I'll do it. Oh, you, you were able to get, you know, forty signed shirts for me over this tour. So that, that for me, you know, you're top draw team manager. So you're you still are yet to receive them. So thank me when yeah, you actually Yeah, that. that is true. That is true. Currently sitting in New Zealand. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, I think, I think that the – probably the most important thing um, is the ability to stay calm um, and just, you know, be patient. I think it is a very high pressure situation um, and you're dealing with so many different things as, as you know, we have, we have a support staff of, of 10, including myself. So um, ranging from coaches um, who are, you know, contract staff who are very performance driven um, to, to triple some staff who are looking after, you know, well-being of players and, um, just need to make sure that everyone gets on the field um, healthy. So very different. I think everyone in the staffing group has very different objectives. 
Um, we also have, you know, media staff, um, security staff, everyone's looking after different components of a tour of, of a game. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then you also have the players who obviously, you know, deal with lots of stress, um, depending on, on how they've performed in, in previous matches or, um, you know, the pressure of the, of, of the series ahead. So I think the ability to stay calm is, is really important for, for anyone who's, who's, you know, in a, in a team manager role. And I think that's something I, I've been told I do well. Um, I really like. Um, I, I just don't get flustered. Um, you can, you know, throw a brick at me and I'll just take it. Um, so uh, I think that's that's really really important. Um, but um, you know, like a, like a duck on water, there's a lot of paddling going on underneath. You know, I could stay calm and think through it, but my head is just running with scenarios, with plans, with. Um, if things don't go this way, this is what we're doing. If if things go down this route, this is what we're doing. And then kind of almost setting those paths or plans in motion um, to know that if things go happen, we're pulling and we're on. Um, so I think that that's that's really important. You can't just stay calm and not have a plan of action because if you if you tell Modi or you know tell um, Kate our physio that yep I you know I didn't expect that or um, I don't have a plan in place. If it's, you know, I think everyone understands it, but if you throw that answer quite a bit, um, um, there'll be there'll be a bit more tension in the in the change room than necessary. So, um, I think that's 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 really important. Um, obviously, it's it's you know you, you're an op- you're in operations or I'm in operations, so um, just being organised, um, being extremely detailed with with our planning and looking through every single aspect of it. Um, you know, taking a flight is not just catching a flight. It's, you know, different processes around baggage and, you know, what if we miss baggage and what if somebody forgets something and what if flights are delayed? What if there's bad weather? What, you know, what if we don't arrive on time? How does that affect our, you know, our landing at the arrival port? And if things change, who do, you, who do we need to call? So there's everything is so detailed. Um, and I think all of us that work in team operations, um, as in, in my team at Cricket Australia, have that mindset. And I think that's really important for anyone wanting to get into operations. It's not just seeing, um, you know, a certain segment of, of an area, but it's it's having that bigger picture and being able to pull yourself out of it, to look at the bigger picture, to then help with decision making, because then you can go to coaching staff or Triple um, SM staff and say, no, we actually can't move training because it affects this, this and this. Um, but you need to see that bigger picture and then all, almost be able to, you know, focus your lens back into to working through the detail of it. So I think that's that's really important, being able to, you know, move in and out of perspective. Um, and I think the last thing is just communication, um, you know, being um, open and honest with, with your decision-making process and, and running everyone through it, but also being very quick with it. So players, I've noticed a lot with this team, so... Um, it's it's a really interesting one. I was having a conversation with somebody about it a couple of weeks ago. Just uh, somebody asked me what the difference is working between men's and women's teams, and I don't don't want to generalize, uh, but just purely on my experience, you have noticed that working with the boys, um, as long as you have a, a plan in place, they'll kind of they, they'll go around with it. You know, they'll they there won't be too many questions of why and what and when, uh, but the girls just need to know. You know, they're very different. They like to be organized. They like to plan. Uh, their free time after training, during tours, um, you know, all the details need to, need to be put into to AMS, which is our, our athlete management system, and, and we have a calendar on this. So everything needs to put in there. Um, if there's any changes, they need to know ASAP. So it's ve- it's a very different kind of 
um, you know, communication approach as well. With the boys, I could kind of wing it a bit more, but with the girls, I need to be ultra organized. So uh, I think those those would probably be the, the top three um, from what I've picked up over the past few years in cricket. You mentioned working with that group of girls compared to the boys. Uh, those group of girls are, you know, make up the most successful cricket team in history. What's it like working with that group? Um, to this day, it's I, it's incredible. Um, I just can't believe how lucky I am to to work with um, with the playing group that we have. They're just absolute legends of the game, um, and just you know, superstars in their own right. So incredibly fortunate to, to work with with the playing group that we have and and also just the the depth um, of, of players that we have coming through the Australian women's pathway is incredible so um, just a lot of work has gone through um, it over the past you know m- way before my time um, you know uh, Sean Flegler who's our high performance manager and then Belinda Clark like you know a lot of people at Cricket Australia have put in a lot of effort um, to build a pathway that we have um, at an under 19s and in Australia A level um, and um, it's it's I would think um, it's it's our competitive advantage against other other cricketing nations in the women's space you know we know that if you have um, fast bowlers that get injured there's somebody going to take their place and and they're of equal depth um, you know, so it, that's that's something that's um, really cool to see in the Australian women's space in comparison to, say, like India or New Zealand or England. So um, incredibly fortunate to work with these athletes, but also the support staff are just awesome. Um, you know, I think we've really found – I've really found a group um, of support staff that, that we all have different personality types and, you know, everyone is um, – obviously um, – master of their own area but we just come together really really well um and and that's something that's really cool to see again if i step back and and take um take a bigger picture um viewpoint of of our support staff group everyone has such different personality types but um when we're in that change room everyone is so switched on to um to what our goals are and what we need to get out of, of of you know the series or our tours so it's it's really it's really cool to we we just have a lot of fun um, it's just one of those environments where the support staff actually have a lot of fun working together. So um, incredibly fortunate, incredibly fortunate. Mills, I remember, um, you know, the first time that I went to a test match working at CA, I had to go into the, the men's change rooms and um, essentially accompany a, a, a group um, on behalf of one of our partners and give them a bit of a tour of the the, the behind the scenes and, when I had to sort of um, see a player or, or staff, I'll tell you what, I absolutely shat myself. Um, I want to know, how, how did you feel any sort of pressure walking into such a high-profile team at all on that level or are you always cool, calm and collected? Um, I actually have no issues with that, to be honest. Um, I can walk into a change room with whoever and I, it just doesn't bother me. I mean, doesn't at the end of the day... At the end of the day, we're all we're all people, right? We're all people. That, you know, you guys are no different to to superstars in a cricket change room. We're all people. Everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different uh, personality type. And you know, if you grind it down to that basic level, there's no different. I mean, yeah, geez, they're ultra ultra talented cricket athletes and can bowl and bat amazingly well. But um, everyone has their own strengths. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I 
it, it yeah, I don't get flustered when I when I walk into those environments. Um, were you well taken care of? Because that I think that's something that's really important as well. When, when you have people walk into a change room and, and oh, yeah. everyone just yeah, goes yeah. about their business, it adds to the pressure. You're like, oh, God, now I'm just yeah. in this corner and I don't know what to do. No, I was, I was very much a young pup and I, I sort of have taken the, like, the same stance as you now. Like, during last season, you know, I'd get a, a call from a player and I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be totally fine. It's just another person on the end of the line. But I think being a... um you know, not being in that environment at all and, you know, you're, you're just saying like to Tim Payne and addressing him as Tim as if you know the guy, um, you know, that kind of stuff. You just kind of sit there and you're like, holy hell, like what's going on here? Um, but you're dead right. I guess like everybody who works in the industry that has contact with, um, you know, the superstars who are actually playing the game has to kind of get comfortable at some point and, you know, not have that pressure on them. Otherwise, like, what would that environment look like if everyone's starstruck the whole time? So, um, yeah, it, it's funny how everyone just kind of settles after sort of one interaction and all of a sudden it's completely normal. The people who you've seen on your TV are just, just people. So, just um, him on your, on your phone that you can WhatsApp and, and say, hey, buddy, how are you going? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's right. interesting. You you do come across people that do get starstruck, and if they don't like step out of it, um, they're found pretty yeah. easy. I do remember Meg Lanning and Elise Villani came to the Cricket Australia offices one day to talk to the staff, and I went up to them afterwards and and got them to to sign my keep cup. And I remember, <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, you worked at Cricket wine. Australia, and all the things you had to sign was a keep cup. <laughs> What? what? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> you've chosen your keep cup. Is it a CA keep cup? It was a CA keep cup. Oh, okay, I think they gave it to us earlier that day. Well, I'm only just realising it now, but to, to make it worse, you know, they're getting approached by a person with a keep cup, and my heart was pounding because, you know, these people make bulk runs, and I was just like, you're you're incredible like i was feeling that anxiousness in pro- approaching these incredible athletes but it's all right we're all, we're all people at the end of the day some of us some of us talk <laughs> in a podcast some of us make thousands of runs it's okay we're all the same some people get keep cups to get signed you know totally you fine do. we're all we're all normal we're all fine um, the funny mm. story ever was when i was taking one of the so after the strikers so i worked at the, the soccer um and i was team manager for the Adelaide strikers in the bbl competition and um after our home games, we'd get the boys to do like a lap of the oval to sign autographs and meet with kids and things like that. And <laughs> we had one of these, um, he wasn't even a, well, he wasn't even a kid. I, th- I think he was probably an adult, but he was like so flustered um, at seeing one of our internationals there that, um, and he didn't have any, bless him, he didn't have anything um, to sign, like any kind of merch or anything. So he just went, can you sign my forehead? <laughs> so <laughs> this player was like, um, Okay, <laughs> so he just kind of signed his forehead. <laughs> so at least it keep at least it keep cups better. Permanent <laughs> sharp, yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he went and like got it tattooed because that wouldn't have been fun otherwise. Rough up still <laughs> lot <laughs> with a signature on your head. How good? Um, well, well, I believe there was at least some reason to be nervous around those people because they are, you know, at least Lani, Meg Lanning are superstars of the game. 
And um, one of the most recent accomplishments in the last year was that incredible victory at the T20 World Cup. I'm wondering, Mills, if you can take us back to that day and shed light on, on your role as part of the team and talk us through what your involvement was so we can get a bit of an insight into your, your day-to-day during a tournament and a, and a final as well. Um, yeah, it just makes me the biggest smile ever, ever. Every time anyone asks me about that World Cup final there because it was just incredible. Like I think to this, to this day, I've, a bit, I've worked through some pretty cool sporting moments in my life, but um, waking up to that morning was just absolutely incredible. So, um, yeah, we, had, uh, we played the semifinals in Sydney. Um, and as, as you may know, it was absolutely pouring down with rain. So we landed into Sydney, absolute like belting down with the rain. Um, and we had a training session that evening, which was very similar to um, to the, the time of our, our semifinal game. And we thought, oh, the wind had cleared, the rain had cleared. And we thought, oh, we might we might get on here if, if this is 20, 24 hours later. Um, so there's just so much nerves going into that semifinal. And then we played this shortened game came through with it and it was literally, you know, everyone was in tears. We were like, we've made the World Cup final. Um, and then, then that's where things got busy for me because now we were taking this whole group, um, you know, with, with the pressure of Australia on our shoulders into the World Cup final, the MCG in front of 90,000 people. Um, so I definitely could not mess that up. Um, so, yeah, it was quite quite hectic. Um, obviously, we landed and we had training that that afternoon so um i think that was just a good time for me to to get organized and kind of find my bearings it was the first time we had obviously been around the g and and and, um had to set up um you know our squads training training um or change room in in the g so um a lot of a lot of my work gets done the day before um because um you know i'd head to the ground early catch up with the event staff um to to kind of uh, understand what the plans are for for the game um, all the pre-match and post-match activations and, and, you know, just kind of get an understanding of the, the run sheets for the day. Um, also catching up with security staff and anti-corruption staff just to, to understand what the security overlay is. So we have a security manager that travels on tour with us and we work closely together. Uh, but obviously, given the high-profile um, game that we were playing the next day, there was there was a fair bit of work to be done um, around the security. So a, a lot, a lot of, um, and then ju- just making sure all, you know change rooms were set up. The girls were happy. Everyone was calm. Everyone was comfortable with with what we were doing. Um, and just just making sure we it was a training session as normal. Um, I think that that was the the big one, just keeping everyone calm. Um, another cool thing that we did that evening was at least Perry came up with this, with this idea of, you know, we should get together like a, a note um, or put together a, a letter from, for each of the players in the team um, uh, from a family member or a mate or just someone special in their lives, just, um, you know, wishing them well for the world cup. So, um, so Pez and I um, got, got together. So we reached out to, to all the, you know, whether it be parents or partners or mates of, of, of the girls um, it was a bit of a hustle trying to get to, to, to you know get the information across, um, and then we got it out, and then you know had to print them out, put them in this nice envelopes, do a drop off the night before. So that was a, a bit stressful and, and an added thing which I would have not normally done, but I thought it was a really cool addition to just you know embrace the moment. Um, at the end of the day, we were playing in a World Cup final at home, and 
it was just yeah really cool so we thought you know it was a good opportunity to to be able to get that um done so we did that the night before so it was it was quite hectic 24 hours um the morning of the game again we tend to play it very cool um i think the 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 cool and calm and relaxed changing environment is what we all enjoy so no one we we don't tend to have meetings um or you know any kind of team related activities on the morning of games usually it's just your time you do whatever you need to do to to set yourself up and that that's the same for support staff whether it's exercising going out for brekkie getting work done do whatever you need to do but then when we're on the bus everyone's switched on and it's team time so um it was a pretty relaxed morning um that well, was very stressful everyone's a bit nervous but relaxed in the sense of we could we could you know do whatever we wanted to um, I ha- had uh, ribs, as you know. We had um, two two security liaisons and two t- um, team liaisons. So we, you know, we would have um, daily chats on match on match days just to run through again those scenarios that I talked about. So what happens if we win? What happens if we lose? What everyone's responsibilities are in the change rooms, pre match, post match, um, baggage movements, post match. We were well, if we won, we were hoping to have all the families and partners come through to our change rooms and getting organised there. Um, so yeah, a few logistics movements to make sure I tucked that in and got everyone clear on what their roles and responsibilities were during the game, and then um, left to the ground early um, with um, our TLO. And it was yeah, I, we were driving through to to the entrance of, of um, uh, the G and just seeing the people on the streets absolutely blew my mind. Um, it was just incredible. So got in a fair bit early just to make sure I was organized before the girls arrived and before the staff arrived. Um, and then once we once we got there to the ground and everyone was settled in and, you know, ready to go for our warm-ups, it just was the most calm. Like I think there was just this air of calmness in the change room. Um, it was It was as if we were just so relaxed. No one was stressing out. There were just no nerves around. Uh, the players were all in this really good mood. Um, I think there were a couple of, I think while people were lining up, there were a couple of videos that were coming through of, of you know, the, the crowds and the, the turnstiles and the ticket gates. Uh, they knew that there would be a big crowd, but I remember walking on to, you know, um, to warm up and just seeing the crowds fill in and it was just such a spectacular moment. So I think that's what probably where I just took it all in. Um, and then it, it, the chaos started. So just getting everyone organized on time. Obviously, Katy Perry concert before um, before the start of the game. Um, made sure we ticked that off. And, and um, it's really interesting because I get really busy running up to that point. And once the game kicks off, I'm, you know, I'm done. You know, that's when the responsibilities fall onto the coaches and the physios and I put my feet up, um, have a cool hydrolite and just enjoy the view. So um, I did... Um, did do that for the first innings, and that's probably the the match or the part of the match that I remember the most. Um, because once we finished that second innings, we were pretty we had a pretty good idea where we were gonna um, go with the result. Um, mm-hmm. So um, after Alyssa Healy just teed off, absolutely uh, smashed it. <laughs> ended it after an innings. How good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, once we had that first innings result, we kind of I kind of knew where things were going. So um, most of the second innings, I was spent on my phone, where I was just kind of getting organised for for plans because we had to get all the partners and, and family in. So once the match was done, um, making sure we you know the girls had enough food, that we went through all our recovery, all our normal processes that we do after the game. Um, 
with a lot of singing and, and celebrating in the change rooms. But uh, once all of that was done, um, then I got really busy just trying to get everyone into the into the, the change rooms and make sure all the families were looked after and that everyone just had a good um, celebration experience. So, um, yeah, so that was that side of things. And then, again, you know, you're always having to think steps ahead. Um, you know, you can't really – like that, that, that's probably one thing that's that's interesting in my role. You, you enjoy a moment and you got it when, – when you're in that time and space, you just need to embrace it and enjoy that particular moment because you're – going to be rushing and doing something else two minutes later. So um, uh, once we won, I really didn't get a lot of time to actually stop, um, you know, between everyone coming to the chain rooms, getting everything organized, packing up all our bags because we had to, um, you know, we had everyone flying home the next morning. Um, um, so, yeah, just it was – it it all just sped by that, that, you know, after we won, but it was – unreal it was absolutely unreal and then we had to we were due to travel to south africa four days later so i had to to do a fair bit of of travel work in preparation for that so that was running in the background as well so um a a lot of things happening but just some really cool moments where you just you know to stop myself and go this is uh, this is unreal this is absolutely unreal Mm. how did i end up here yeah (laughs) meals i was wondering and i was lucky enough to venture onto the mighty MCG post-game um, for the Queen, Katy Perry, to come out. I was wondering, was, was it always the plan for the girls to, to jump up on stage? And I was just thinking just now, like, the amount of planning that you go through, I can imagine if that wasn't the plan, you'd be like, oh, no, what's going on? Like, what is happening here? They're on the stage with Katy Perry. But <laughs> surely that was the plan all along, yeah? Well, that was my plan all along. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that some people saw eye to eye on that. But, um, yeah, Lucy, who's our media manager, and I were pretty keen for the girls to get up on stage. Well, the girls were heaps keen to get up on stage um, and just given the result of the game and, and how it all just came together. Um, it was a bit a bit chaotic. There was a lot of lot of phone calls, but um, we managed to – so the, the initially the girls were due to just – um, stand in front of the stage and, and watch the concert, but um, we managed to yeah get thank you Katie. We managed to get Katie on board to, to having the girls on the stage, and then it just all happened like that. It was very quick. Within thirty seconds, we were there, and then we were on stage. So it was just happened really quickly. But um, so yeah, good. the girls say that that was just the best. Some some of the girls say that that was just the best moment of their Korean careers. Like just that that back end of the game when you know you we knew we had the result in hand. Um, and then just the, the explosion afterwards. It was, yeah, epic. Well, I think between Lucy and yourself with your media history, you both had an eye for an iconic moment because that photo with the team and Katy Perry on stage is iconic. And um, over the previous summer, I, I did a quick contract back with Cricket Australia working in the ops team for the, the men's hub and was working with um, one of the uh, event managers from that night, Stewie Fleming. And he was giving me a bit of backstory to to that night as well. And he was kind of controlling all the stadium operations and said to me that the team was never meant to go on stage. And then all of a sudden, one of them went through the crowd. Like there was no corridor for the players to get through. They were just literally tapping patrons on the shoulder saying, excuse me, coming through. Like Alyssa Healy just had the game of her life. Tapping, you know, old mate on the shoulder. Sorry, I just need to get through here to get up into the stage with Katy Perry. And then once a couple of them went, a few of them went, and then it was all on they stage. All and 
I'm not sure the ICC loved it, but who cares? It was an incredible moment. <laughs> yeah, I had a few interesting phone calls afterwards. Well, not interesting, a few upset phone calls afterwards, but it, it was just the moment. It, the moment was just right, isn't it? Like, And the girls were so set on it. Um, and once a few of them went up there, there was no stopping the rest of them. And I'm glad we didn't because we just w- – w- what a moment that was. Um, just for, for a lot of young girls to be able to see that um, and just for us to be so proud of that team. So it was just I'm, – I'm glad it ended up the way it did. Um, but, yeah, initially it was not, it was definitely not part of the plan. Mills, I want to just ask about the, the influence of this group on you. Um, one of, like, the common uh, ideas out there is that, you know, pe- people are made up of a combination of, you know, the, the five people who are closest to you. Given that you spend so much time on the road with this team, um, I'd imagine some of these people would have had an impact on yourself. And most recently, you've just got back from New Zealand to break this world record of most consecutive wins by any cricket team in history. Given that you are exposed to such an elite environment, what's one thing that you've learned from a certain individual or the entire team that has had an impact on you on the way that you approach any sort of endeavor? Um, that's a bloody good question, by the way, let me just say. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good question. But um, I, th- I think I'm, 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 I looked at it from the point of view of just my experience um, and e- everything that I've done in my working history up to this, up to this point. Um, and, and I think the, the big one is um, always – putting yourself in somebody else's shoes is really important. Um, I think we just, you know, it comes back to, to the conversation we had about, you know, being flustered when you walk into a change room. At the end of the day, they're all people, you know. We're all people irrespective of if you're the number one cricketer in the world or if you're, you know, a staff member at Cricket Australia or you're, you know, you're an intern trying to get into sports management. I think um, the ability to, to, to understand and empathise with different people and understand where they come from, um, you know, what their situations are um, and, and just being able to understand their stories is really important because I think that's when you can really um, – the role – my role is just to make things efficient, right? As a team operations manager, you want to make sure everyone has a really smooth experience through the process um, that if there's any solutions, you you find them and you make sure everyone is comfortable um, and that they focus on – the performance and everything else off field is taken care of. Um, so I think when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, uh, you understand what their needs are. You understand, you know, what ticks them off, what doesn't. When's the right time to say something? When's the right time not to, you know, just to be quiet and observe and listen. Um, so I think that really helps with um, we're just building emotional intelligence, and that's the the crux of this job. It, it's being able to understand where different people are at. Um, where the coaches are at, where um, support staff are at, and then just make it all work together and make sure everyone has a really smooth, comfortable experience and can focus on the tasks that they need to do, whether it be, you know, enabling players to be able to deliver a high performance, um, you know, um, scores at games or helping players to, to be comfortable enough to go on the field and not have to worry about, you know, their uniforms or their tickets or their flights and things like that. So um, I think that's that's a big one for me is is just, making sure you take the time to just understand the people that you work with um, and that everyone has is in a different 
point of, of time in their lives and, and, and you know, has a different story and just making sure you understand that because that can affect your decision-making process. Awesome, Mills. Well, we might leave it there. I feel like we could go for another hour if we wanted to, um, but we better not. Well, we could, but we can't. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I could keep chatting all day. Somebody yeah, once told me. Well, I think Lucy told funny. me that uh, a few weeks ago. She was like, you could talk to a rock and you'd have a great time, and I probably could. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Ruben. Uh, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but it is – it has been absolutely awesome speaking to you. Um, I, I know there will be hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people out there who are so envious of your role. And I think, you know, the job that you do with, you know, the most successful uh, cricketing team ever um, is really inspirational. I know you absolutely kill your job and you're a superstar at what you do and we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of that insight um, with us tonight. And there'll be a lot of people out there who really enjoy this episode. So thanks again for your time. Um, and hopefully I'll, I'll see you around the office soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it was awesome to have a chat with you guys um, about the you know, cool roles that we have at Cricket Australia and, and the awesome people we get to work with. So hope you feel better soon and see you back at the office. <laughs> see ya. There we go, Ryan. I'm not, I'm not sure about you, but uh, I absolutely love that chat. What did you take away from it? You're right, Rose. That was an absolute cracker. Um, Mills is great for yarn, so it was awesome to chat to her. Um, one thing I, you know, I really took away was around the scenario planning. Um, I think everyone sort of understands that a team manager needs to be um, obviously very organised, but um, she will scenario plan to an absolute T uh, to understand any possible, any scenario that might come up, she's planned for it and, and she knows exactly what has to happen, when and why and, and all the possibilities. So the extent of that was something that I found really interesting. Yeah, and just to add to that as well, I think that's a really critical thing that people can do in their planning for second, third round interviews, no matter what your discipline is often you'll get asked to present on something about what you're going to have to do in the job. So in Mills's case, it was that scenario planning. But I think that's, you know, something that people, you know, who are doing events or who are doing commercial can uh, take into account too. Uh, one of the other things that I think was really important for her and that other people can learn from is not only finding out the values of the organisation who you're joining, but actually understanding and taking the time to figure out how you relate to those values. As Mills said, that was the most critical thing for her getting selected to the job, how she fit in with the team based on their values. So I think if you can do your research and, and do your own internal research to find out how you meet that, then you're going to be in a very good position no matter which team you're trying to be a part of. Yeah, I thought the other one that I took away was, you know, the acknowledgement of when you're in a pressure situation and, and you know, when you're under pressure, actually acknowledging that it's it's good practice being in that situation and, and being really accustomed to being calm and, and staying calm in situations. So it's almost going back to the old, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable statement, which seems to be thrown out every three minutes these days, Rubes. But um, it was absolutely clear that, like, she has to be calm. So you know, 
there's no point going out there and just acknowledging that you're in a pressure situation and, and being really stressed about it. Um, just acknowledge that you need to be calm and you need to acknowledge it and you got to move on. So awesome listening to her. She, she's, she's fantastic. Yeah, those those pressure, pressure situations that you get are few and far between sometimes. So when you do find yourself in one of those positions, relish it and make the most of it. That's all from us. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Hey team, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends or your classmates who also have to figure out all of this sports career stuff. As you can see, this podcast is practically a masterclass and it's free. And you and your circles deserve to have it. So please share it far and wide. Finally, when you're ready to make sense of tackling jobs in sport, go check out the Sports Grad Method. This is an ebook I wrote based on eight years of trying to get into the sports industry and teaching others how to do it too. All of that is condensed down into a proven process to getting jobs in sport. If you're like me and enjoy things broken out into logical steps, then I think you're going to enjoy it. To get a hold of that, download it from www.sportsgrad.com.au. Thanks again for listening. Chat to you soon.